Welcome to the Art Song Podcast. My name is Daniela Theresia and I'm a mezzo-soprano, and I'm joined by my friend and pianist Suzanne Yeo for an episode of our Eternal Feminine series. This set of podcasts was inspired by my concert series called The Eternal Feminine, which expresses the feminine perspective through women's words and music. In the past, we've explored themes like love, relationships, motherhood, loss, and one's purpose in life. We've done this by performing pieces either based on female characters or pieces with a female composer or poet. For the Eternal Feminine podcast series, we've decided to focus on female composers and poets in order to bring these women into a modern context. Some of these women are not very well known, and we wanted to recognize them for their works, as well as bringing the art song genre to a larger audience. Today we'll be discussing the piece The Silver Rose by Lisa Lehman, set to text by Radcliffe Hall. Now, today we have an extra special episode um, since both the composer and the poet for today's featured song are women. So uh, I was thinking, Daniela, perhaps you'd like to fill our listeners in on Lehman first? Sure, yeah. So Lisa Lehman was born Elisabetta Nina Marie Frederica Lehman <laughs> in 1862 um, to Rudolf Lehman, who was a famous painter, and Amelia Lehman, uh, née Chambers. And Amelia was a composer, singer, and amateur artist. Lisa was the eldest of four daughters, and her family actually lived in Italy for the first five years of her life, so she grew up speaking Italian as her first language. So the Laymans were extremely social and were friends with many great artists, uh, writers, and musicians of the time. For example, Robert Browning, um, Anton Rubinstein, and Franz Liszt were regular house guests. Uh, and Lehman and her sisters were also kind of a frequent source of entertainment. One of her sisters was kind of famous in their circle for her theatrical skits, and she would often be asked to perform them. And as for Lehman herself, she was often asked to sing for friends and family. And on one such occasion, she actually sang for the great Swedish soprano uh, Jenny Lind, who apparently declared that she would love to teach her one day, somewhat prophetically maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but aside from the friends and family, there was also a steady stream of other notables that would come to have their portraits painted by Rudolf Lehmann, her father. Right. Uh, I, I, I think you were telling me something about a visit to Verdi. Mm-hmm. So um, they kind of, at some points, they were splitting their time between Italy and, uh, and England. So on one occasion, um, they went to visit Giuseppe Verdi, you know, the great opera composer. And they were at dinner at his house, and he invited them to his secret piano room. So he, he kept the piano hidden in his bedroom, like behind a curtain, uh, to prevent aspiring musicians from pestering him with songs. <laughs> but, uh, but Lisa Lehman was, was given the honor of, he asked her to please sing for him, so she did. Her musical studies actually began at the piano, which by her own account were not very promising, but she was always singing and eventually she began to study voice seriously. And her first teacher was actually her mother, Amelia, 
who had studied with Manuel Garcia, whom you may remember as the brother of French diva and composer Pauline Viardot. So even though Amelia had studied with a lot of great teachers and apparently had a very lovely voice, she herself didn't really believe in her abilities, and so she never pursued a performing career. Um, I think she, she arranged a lot of songs, and this under the, the initials A.L., as she was known. But when Amelia discovered that her daughter Lisa could sing, then she was determined that she was going to have the success that she didn't. So... <laughs> so she 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 pushed her to sing a lot. Lisa says, you know, so I was trotted out regularly to sing in front of people so she wouldn't have any kind of performance anxiety. <laughs> so eventually, um Lehman began to study with other teachers, including Jenny Lind, you know, who had admired her voice many years before. Um and by her own account, Lehman actually did suffer from a great deal of performance anxiety, but Apparently, the public didn't seem to notice, and she was an excellent concert singer and gained recognition both at home and abroad for her oratorio and recital singing. Yeah, um, she was noticed also by, by Clara Schumann, wasn't mm-hmm. she? Mm-hmm. Um, so Lehman is one of these people that's, that turns out to be kind of a, a connecting point in our Eternal Feminine series. So at one point, Clara Schumann invited Lisa to come and study with her after hearing one of her concerts in London. So Lisa went to Frankfurt and lived with Clara for about three weeks, and she received daily lessons in Lieder, namely Robert Schumann's works, and eventually they actually gave a a Lieder recital together while she was there. So Lisa Lehmann was kind of always interested in composition, but she never really delved into it until after her marriage in 1894. And as it happened, um, an illness kind of damaged her throat muscles, which effectively ended her singing career pretty shortly after her marriage. But by that point, she had already begun composing with great zeal, and she created one of her most famous works, which is called In a Persian Garden, uh, within the first year of her marriage. The majority of her works were vocal, although she did write some instrumental works. Um, a lot of the vocal works kind of reflect Lehman's wit and wry sense of humor. For example, one of her more famous song sets is called Four Cautionary Tales and a Moral, <laughs> which is based on Hilaire Belloc's uh, somewhat off-color texts. So this, this set has song subtitles like Rebecca, who slammed doors for fun and perished miserably, or Jim, who ran away from his nurse and was eaten by a lion. <laughs> It's like the alphabet of naughty children, and it's written by Edward Gorey, and it's oh, right. you know, so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. Who... <laughs> so as you can imagine, Lehman's pieces brought delight to her audiences in her native England, but also abroad. She actually embarked on an extensive American tour in 1910, which showcased two British singers and two American singers, with Lehman herself at the piano uh, accompanying them. Lehman was elected the first president of the new Society for Women Musicians in 1911, and she also taught singing at Guildhall School of Music. She was also the first woman to be commissioned to write a musical comedy, which which is a great anecdote, and maybe I'll talk about that in our blog. <laughs> um, and she continued to compose up until her early and kind of sudden death in 1918. So the piece that we are performing today, The Silver Rose, was set to text by English writer Radcliffe Hall. Radcliffe Hall was a poet and novelist uh, best known for her 1928 novel, The Well of Loneliness, which is considered a, a groundbreaking work in lesbian literature. She was born in 1880 and died in 1943. 
And I, I should also probably add that Radcliffe Hall was originally her last name, which which was hyphenated. Um, and, and actually her father was named Radcliffe, Radcliffe Hall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love those names. But her, her given name was actually Marguerite, right? Yeah. And, and actually, um, she published her earlier poetry collections under that name, uh, you know, as in Marguerite. Radcliffe Hall but she never liked the name and and she actually preferred to go by John after one of her partners Mabel Batson whom we're going to hear more about later um, told her that she looked like an an ancestor of hers with that name but for her first novel and later works she went simply by Radcliffe Hall and and that is the name by which she is best known anyway she she was already a well-regarded and successful writer when she decided to write The Well of Loneliness uh, which was the only one of her novels to have a lesbian theme because uh, she wanted to raise social awareness and also make a plea for tolerance and understanding mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately a homophobic tabloid editor in the UK decided to go on the war path and started an, a, a campaign to ban the book. And this culminated in an obscenity trial um, where the book was banned, even though there was nothing explicit in the book. I, I mean, it, it was just a reference to a kiss and another to spending the night together. That was sort of it. However, um, since the trial caused such a big to-do, it actually did end up raising awareness of lesbianism. <laughs> and, and there was quite a bit of sympathy from the public for her because, you know, it, it was so clearly unfair mm-hmm. and and lisa layman actually knew radcliffe hall socially you know as it happens uh radcliffe hall's partner M- mabel batten was an accomplished amateur singer and so it's possible that that's how they knew each other and that's how layman came to set the poem although you were telling me about another kind of unexpected connection that came up when you were reading about radcliffe hall Yes, um, and it's it's not really so much about Lehman and Radcliffe Hall and how they knew each other because this was sort of much later on. It's it's just it's more just one of those things where you go, oh wow, what are the chances? <laughs> um, so th- this is the thing. In 1927, one year before the Well of Loneliness, there was another novel published by a young British woman author that included some lesbian content, which, like the Well of Loneliness, is often included in sort of LGBTQ reading lists. Anyway, the title of this novel was Dusty Answer, and the author was one Rosamund Lehman. And and so I, I was looking at this and was like, well, well, the, you know, surely this can't be a coincidence. So I looked Rosamund Lehman up, and it turns out she was Lisa Lehman's cousin. <laughs> wow. I, it's so amazing to me, you know, as we go through this series, just how many connections there are between people. And... I should have mentioned this before, but Lisa Lehman's husband, um, Herbert Bedford, actually wrote a book about Robert Schumann. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I know, it's, it, it feels like it's such a small world. But, but anyway, to, to get back to Radcliffe Hall, the text for The Silver Rose is from a poem of the same name from her set, Three Songs of Nowhere Town. These poems were published in 1910, so, uh, you know, just one year before layman's song was published mm-hmm. radcliffe hall describes nowhere town as a magical ideal place and it's associated with sleep and dreams the the second poem in the set is actually about the sleepy train that comes from nowhere town via the valley of dreams now the silver rose which is the first poem of the set is clearly a love song although that's not immediately obvious from the beginning the narrator starts off by saying i'll sing you a ditty of nowhere town 
and then goes on to talk about how a silver rose grows in nowhere town that has never been plucked. And only someone whose love shall last through eternity will be able to pluck it. So far, there's no hint of anything personal in the text, though Lehmann's music, as you see, does suggest it with its buildup of intensity on the word eternity. But, but in the last verse, you realize this poem is actually a declaration of love because the narrator then invites their beloved to go to Nowhere Town with them and then offers to pluck the rose for them, uh, thus implying that their love is true and eternal. Mm -hmm. So this transition from neutral description to a more lyrical evocation of the rose to this final romantic declaration, um, I... I really like the way Lehmann um, depicts this. So she starts the song in G minor with a short phrase in the piano part, um, followed by a kind of recit-like section for the voice that has a somewhat folk-like quality to it. It goes between variations of this phrase and the voice. And as it goes on, the harmony becomes a bit more complex and the vocal line becomes more melodic when uh, the narrator mentions the roadway of golden light to Nowhere Town. But once we get into the actual description of Nowhere Town proper, we switch into this almost bucolic 6-8 thing that goes between B-flat major and G minor, but but, but mostly stays in B-flat major. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a... Um... There's an almost unsettled feeling in the beginning because of the key and because Lehman keeps changing the meter. Um, and also because the piano part is so sparse and the figures that she writes kind of sound like questions in the air between the singer's phrases. But as you say, once she settles into the new major key and the 6-8 time, everything stabilizes a lot more. Right. But that said, even though the second section is more stable, um, as the hint of emotional investment from the narrator increases. Um, so does the chromaticism. So you have this bit where she's talking about how none may reach it to pluck save he whose love shall last through eternity. We suddenly seem to be moving towards E-flat major, except that eternity, which is basically the climax of the piece, occurs on an E-flat augmented chord instead before switching back into, you know, sort of, flat major uh, kind of territory. And, and, and I think there's a very nice touch um, toward the end where the last cadence on the words for you modifies the traditional 5-1 perfect cadence so that yet another augmented chord is substituted in for the 5 chord before the piano repeats the short phrase of the beginning which is now in B-flat major. So, and I, I, I think the nice thing about that is that the two augmented chords connect the two lines. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The narrator is making a declaration of love. The narrator is saying, my love is eternal and therefore I can pluck this rose. So it, it's just, a, you know, I think very nice, subtle nod mm -hmm. from, from one section to the other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I also really love how Lehman sets the text. You know, it's very clear that she was a singer herself. She's very kind to the singer <laughs> regarding, you know, pauses for breath and she gives time to express those climactic notes, those, those climactic moments. And the song kind of takes you by surprise because it starts so simply. When we were researching pieces, 
I almost skipped over this one because it seemed a bit childish in the beginning. Um, but then there was, you know, there was a kind of promise of more. So I kept working through it. And I'm really glad that I did because the piece just blossoms so beautifully in the end. And of course, you will recognize this piece because we've been using that beautiful ending as the theme music for our podcast. Right. <laughs> and we thought that it would be a good choice um, because the rose has been kind of a visual theme of ours for the Eternal Feminine concert series. Um, those of you who have attended our concerts here in the GTA or that have the, the beautiful CD will remember that image of red roses on a turquoise background, which Suzanne created for our promotional material. Um, but... Without further ado, we will play you our isolation recording version of Lisa Lehman's The Silver Rose with text by Radcliffe Hall. I sing you a ditty of nowhere town. You climb the hill when the know where that beautiful theme music has come from. <laughs> I, I really think that this piece is a tribute to both Lehman and Radcliffe Hall's skills. You know, the words and music play together so well that it's almost as if they had written it together. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 
even though Lisa Lehman was very popular in her time, um, for one reason or another, her work is not that well known today. And so we would encourage you to listen to more recordings and by all means perform more of her music. Um, she has some beautiful pieces for vocal quartet and solos. And we encourage you to find out more about her on our website, artsong-podcast.com, where you'll find a dedicated page to Lisa Lehman under Episodes. We will also be featuring a blog post about Radcliffe Hall this week, which is also on our website. And this concludes another episode of our Eternal Feminine series here on the Art Song Podcast. I'm Daniela Theresia, and I've been speaking with Suzanne Yeo about Lisa Lehman and Radcliffe Hall. So thank you, Suzanne. My pleasure. And thank you for listening. We post a new episode every other Saturday, so if you enjoyed the Art Song Podcast, please remember to subscribe and to share with others. So some sweet evening